For the News and Observer, I'm Lars Dolder, your host for this episode of Under the Dome for the week of Monday, April 10th, 2023. I'm here today with my politics team freelancer, Kyle Ingram, Charlotte Observer local news editor, Josh Bergeron, and congressional correspondent, Danielle Battaglia. Guys, what a week. Uh, I don't know where we should start. Obviously, the big news for the podcast is going to be Trisha Cotham's mm, defection, I think it's fair to say, from the Democratic Party, joining the GOP. Uh, Kyle, you were working with us when that first broke on Tuesday before initially it was announced on Wednesday. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, we saw the initial story and we spent the rest of the day doing our best to get confirmation on this. Um, Initially, no party heads wanted to talk about this. Um, We tried to speak with uh, House Minority Leader Robert Reeves, um, and he wouldn't give us any comments. So um, while we were trying to put our story together, I thought to reach out to Representative Cecil Brockman. Uh, He's also a Democrat who's voted with Republicans several times lately. And notably, he was one of the absences during the override vote for the uh, pistol pistol permit uh, law. So I reached out to him, and he sort of gave us a first look into what her motivations might have been for leaving the party. Um, He talked a lot about how the party had punished people for uh, going out of step with what the party wanted or for having their own thoughts or opinions or voting differently than party leaders wanted. And he said that they had sort of, uh, the Democrats had brought this on themselves and that uh, the supermajority was something that they'd have to, um, they'd have to have on their conscience. So that was Tuesday, and and shout out and props to our former colleague, Lucille Sherman at Axios Raleigh, who broke the story. Uh, Wednesday comes, and things really get explosive. That's when they host a presser, a press conference at the GOP headquarters. Uh, Danielle, I know by then we had pulled you into the coverage. There was so much to do that we had to go all the way up to D.C. and get you involved. Uh, What was that like when officially the Republicans confirmed that they had, in fact, kind of poach someone from the Democratic Party. It was interesting. I mean, you saw the press conference and it was fiery. She didn't hold back at all on her views of the Democrats and uh, Leader Reeves and how she felt that he was leading the Democratic Party and why she was walking away from it. And, you know, it's interesting to be sucked back into the state legislature from D.C. because these are people I know well and... uh, had a break from covering, but it's interesting to see the party dynamics play out right now. Yeah, I know many of our listeners will know you, Danielle, um, and that you previously worked with us at Insider and at the News and Observer and then uh, went up to D.C. to cover the drama up in federal politics. Um, This isn't something that we see very often, but you dug into the past and, and whether there's precedent for someone switching parties like this. And I was actually surprised and how much there was. Did, what did you find, even in North Carolina's history, was was there party switching going on in any recent years? There's a lot of party switching going on. Um, I don't have the number in front of me, but it was more than 100 in since 1994 that have switched parties across the country. And then in North Carolina, uh, we pulled this out of my story, but Wikipedia had listed 10 uh, people from North Carolina who have switched. And we're talking like... You know, Elizabeth Dole, she had been a Democrat and switched to the Republican Party, um, which we didn't include in the story because it didn't really affect her politics at all. It happened prior to her getting into public office for North Carolina. But then you have people like um, 
Michael Decker and Jim Black. And that was a famous case. People know it as the IHOP case because this bribery case happened in IHOP. Uh, basically, House Speaker Jim Black had asked Michael Decker to switch political parties so he could keep power. He paid him $50,000 to do so. They both ended up in prison over it. It was a big deal for North Carolina. So I don't know what we're looking at in this case, but obviously if it doesn't go to that level, it's not the biggest party switch we've ever seen. And I'm not saying that it will go to that level either. Yeah, for for people uh, who forget that Democrats were in power for a very long time until really not so long ago in the grand scheme of things uh, and had their share of scandal as well. Because that was, in that case, Jim Black as speaker was a Democrat and recruiting someone from the Republican Party to join his caucus so they could maintain power, right? Um, and why they chose an IHOP to conduct that business, I don't, I don't know. I think it was Waffle House would be peak North Carolina. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Uh, now, on the same day, Wednesday, obviously, Republicans, they came out, they announced this shift. Democrats followed with their their swift response. Many called for her resignation, and that was from D.C. all the way to her hometown, Charlotte, and in Mecklenburg County. Josh, it's great to have you on from the Charlotte Observer, our sister paper. You all covered a lot of what was happening back at home, and Democrats there have not been happy. What's been going on? Well, um yeah, Democrats obviously not happy at all, um, primarily because they feel like that they just elected her to office as a Democrat and um, elected her to office in a district that is pretty heavily Democratic. Um, she won with 60% of the vote, which in North Carolina is um, close, but certainly a district that is comfortably Democratic. And so they felt like um, they had some pretty strong words. They, they felt like they um, had elected a traitor. They had fe they felt like they wanted their money back. They, you know, they they really felt betrayed. And so, um, yeah, Democrats really universally in Charlotte feel like they just have just elected someone, and now that someone has um, betrayed them. It was interesting that Daniel mentioned Jim Black because, um, as she was saying that. You know, Jim Black was the person that Trisha Cotham replaced in the legislature. Now, there are obvious differences between Jim Black's situation and Trisha Cotham's situation, but there's at least a small thread that ties them together because you've got um, the case that Danielle talked about, the party switching case, um, and she replaced him. And in many ways still represents part of the area that he represented. The districts have changed many times, but still Eastern Mecklenburg County and um, now she's in a party switching scandal of a whole different kind. Yeah. Before we go on with that, I'd like to play a clip for our listeners that demonstrates some of those incendiary remarks that you talked about coming from her hometown. Let's listen to that. To demand that she resign. Now, it isn't because she's of what she's saying, that she's this moderate. We don't care about. We are chock full of moderates within the Democratic Party. This is about her lives and her betrayal. Earlier this morning, Trisha said that the Democratic Party is not the Democratic Party she was elected to. Now, the Democratic Party today is the same Democratic Party it was five months ago when she was elected by the people of District 112. She is right that we have demanded that the Democratic Party changes from the Democratic Party it was in 2007, a party, a party 
people, queer people, a party that was mushy when it came to a woman and other people who wanted to have babies' right to choose. She's right to say that it has changed. Okay, so Josh, uh, that's in Mecklenburg County, I think uptown Charlotte, it might have been. Uh, obviously, people resent her for what she did um, and with strong language have called for her resignation. Uh, what happens moving forward? Well, she, um, you know, she, she can stay in office um, if she wants. You know, she, she could resign. It, it just doesn't seem very... Um, you, you sort of take into account what could possibly happen. And I don't think that resignation is possibly on her list. We had a reporter here in Charlotte look into whether she could be recalled from office, but um, Mary Ramsey, our service journalism reporter here in Charlotte wrote that options are pretty limited under North Carolina law. Um, she cannot be recalled because the state doesn't have a provision in the law. Um, basically, she's just gonna serve out her term. And um, in terms of donation returns, she she could donate. She could return the donations. They would be counted as an expense um, because the campaign's already over. But the summary is that she's sort of just in office unless she decides that she doesn't want to be in office. And obviously, that that's pretty unlikely. Yeah. The uh, ramifications for a switch, they could be profound. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but let's take a quick break first. And when we come back, we'll follow up on what it might mean that Cotham has switched parties and what else has happened in legislative news this week. Again, I'm Lars Dolder with the News and Observer, here with my colleagues who work in various sections of politics news. Uh, we've been talking about Trisha Cotham's defection from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party, and most of our listeners, I think, will by now understand what that really means. But uh, tell us again, maybe, Danielle, what does this mean for North Carolina politics, for the inner workings of the legislature, even just one person moving from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party? Well, it had a huge effect on North Carolina politics. We went from having... Uh, you know, almost a supermajority to a supermajority in the House. And so right now, basically, if she switches for policy or her, yeah, her policy positions, she is going to pretty much change North Carolina politics because it will strip Governor Cooper of his veto power. And um, although like saying that, we need to be careful because we don't know where her policy positions are. She was kind of refusing to answer those questions. Um, she's not exactly a conservative Democrat. She was pretty moderate in the past. And so uh, if she sticks with where she was prior, she could, you know, keep the Democrats in line with where they want to be and continue to have veto power in the legislature. That most likely is not going to happen. She is going to switch her policy positions and vote with Republicans and therefore anything they want to push through will probably go through and the governor can't do anything about it. In some press conferences and interviews she's had since officially switching parties, including one notably with Fox News, she suggested that this might start a trend. Now, we don't have any basis really for knowing if that's true, uh, but she has said it and House Speaker Tim Moore has also said that he's been in other conversations with Democrats. Again, we can't verify, but these are noteworthy things to hear from those folks. 
there have already been some Democrats who are voting often across party lines. Kyle, what what do you think could we see next? Who are some of the others on that line who people have suggested might move over? Well, there were rumors yesterday that Cecil Brockman might actually be the next one to defect to the Republicans, but he pretty quickly squashed that rumor. And we had a story from our own reporter, Avi Bajpine, which he said that he is a dedicated Democrat, even if he does have criticisms of the party at the moment. But um, one of the other representatives is Michael Ray. Uh, he's a Democrat who has also voted with Republicans a few times lately. He was one of the three absences during the veto override vote. And uh, I spoke with him today after the House session and asked him, you know, given the news about Trisha Cotham, if he intended to stay with the Democrats. And at first he said no comment. Um, and I pushed and he said, well, I'm with the party now, aren't I? And that was all I got. So who can be sure? That's right. Yeah. It, their circumstances are pretty different, though, than Trisha Cotham's. And so um, none of this is meant to be speculative. They have not suggested that they're going to move. We've just seen them vote sometimes with Republicans, uh, to which they're entitled. Um, but uh, it was interesting that Cotham and, and her aspirations and some other things sort of lend themselves better, I think, to to what she did, whereas others are in districts where they might hurt their political chances if they were to actually switch parties. Uh, Josh, you, you know more intimately maybe than the rest of us some of her political history. People have asked us, well, was she a Republican? Is this something that was expected? Uh, the answer to the first thing is no. But what's her background out there in Mecklenburg? Yeah, she's very much, and at least in the way she's voted, you know, one thing you got to think about is five years, the roughly the period that she was out of the legislature after she ran for Congress and um, did make it was sort of a long time. Five years is a good amount of time where your views can shift. Um, this year, you know, she was still very much a Democrat um, in terms of her voting patterns. One thing that was notable as I was sort of looking through her votes this session is on some of the major issues, she voted with Democrats. And, um, you know, some of those issues are things like um, a bill that people talked about as um, being anti-critical race theory. There was another one about partisan school boards, where some local school boards were going to turn to where Republican and Democratic labels would be on the ballot. Um, penalties for rioting, that was another one. And then if we go back, um, you know, even back to when she was previously in the legislature, she sided with Democrats on House Bill 2, um, uh, an infamous bill that many listeners will, will know about. Um, so she's got a history of voting with Democrats on some major issues, but um, particularly on issues like education, charter schools, on um, issues like immigration. There was a House bill, trying to think of it now, House Bill 10 that passed the House. She was um, one of the Democrats who voted for that, and that um, had some requirements related to sheriffs and immigration officials. So. There are some key issues where she started to vote with Republicans. And then one big question that's emerged is her stance on abortion and how she might vote in the future on abortion. She's obviously spoke very publicly and clearly about abortion before, but then during the press conference this week, she had some language that made it sound like she would wait and see what mm -hmm. she might do on an abortion bill. She would read the bill at the time. And so there are some areas where people can be confident that maybe she'll vote 
with Republicans. There are some areas where she's shown in the past she'll vote with Democrats. Will she continue to do that? And then there are some where we're not quite sure. Yeah. She heavily emphasized that part of her decision to move was because she wanted to vote with her conscience and she felt that the North Carolina Republican Party would be more permissive of that than what she'd experienced in the Democratic Party. So we'll see whether or not that's true, if she falls along with party lines on certain votes, or if, in fact, we see that she still has maintained some of her policy positions that she's had over the years past. Before we get into our headliners for the week, not to be overshadowed too much by the Trisha Cotham news this week, is that the House budget passed. <laughs> on another on a normal week, that might have been the big news that we talked about, but this week things were unusual, of course. Kyle, you were there today on the House floor when it got its third reading, second vote in two days uh, before they sent it to the Senate. What was that debate like? How do the different parties feel? And what chances do you think you might have in the Senate? Well, we heard a really long speech from uh, House Minority Leader Robert Reeves um, in which he mentioned a lot of uh, discussion around the opportunity scholarships that are being expanded in the budget. Uh, he spoke against those. Um, he was talking a lot about the need to invest in public schools, redirect more money there, um, and really just talking in broad terms about how taxation and the operations of the government should be going towards more people who are using public services rather than things like charter schools or private schools. And that's a lot of the debate that we heard there. Um, no one really answered after his speech and the uh, budget was then passed along party lines. And um, we don't know exactly when we're going to see the Senate's budget proposal. Um, and I did ask uh, Senate leader Phil Berger today if he could give us any specifics on how it might differ from what the House has passed. Um, but he's been pretty tight lipped about that. Yeah. Typically, we see the Senate wants more aggressive tax cuts. Uh, Senate leader Berger's mentioned that in the last few weeks and months, but not specific to this proposal from the House. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, I think you said earlier that he suggests at least some of the numbers would be moving around. So that's not really telling us anything, but we kind of have an idea. The Senate often trends toward uh, more aggressive tax cuts, um, more frugal spending. We'll see what happens. Well, headliners of the week then. Uh, Kyle, while we're with you, what have you got? My headliner for this week is Clarence Thomas. Um, a massive story from ProPublica just came out today uh, showing how for several decades, actually, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been close friends with this billionaire uh, who at times has taken him on a private jet, um, a massive yacht on expensive vacations, most of which uh, Thomas never reported in his financial disclosures as a member of the Supreme Court. Yeah, that must read article for anyone who hasn't seen it already. I thought it was fascinating the differences that justices have in their ethics policies from legislators and most lawmakers. It's much looser, actually. Um, and so a lot of that would be egregious if it was a lawmaker we were talking about. But some of it is really not inappropriate. But then again, um, it got a little too far and crossed the line with some interesting ways. I won't spoil the story, but um, still a lot to be said there. Yeah, great headliner. Josh, what about you? I, I've i tried my best, but the biggest news here in Charlotte is is Trisha Cotham. Um, you know, it's she's a Charlotte area legislator. Um, has been a Charlotte area legislator except for that five-year break. And um, it's really a tectonic shift in North Carolina politics. Um, I know that the Republicans were just one vote shy of the veto-proof majority, but 
they're certainly feeling a little bit better about themselves now and with their chances of upholding a veto now that she's joined them. So I got to go with Trisha Coffin. Can't blame you for it. And, and it was funny earlier, you mentioned how she followed Jim Black, how you got these two crazy party switching stories in, in one area. <laughs> Jim Black, of course, wasn't the one who switched his party, but was uh, infamously involved in persuading somebody else to switch theirs. So, uh, yeah, you all keep it coming with the uh, the big politics news. <laughs> yeah, something about eastern Mecklenburg County. I don't know what it is. You'll have to figure that out. Next enterprise project. <laughs> well, I'll go next because Danielle's is the most fun, and I'll save that for last. But uh, my headliner of the week is news released Thursday from the U.S. government um, acknowledging that they should have evacuated Afghanistan earlier. It's interesting, of course, we remember how disastrous that effort was and the criticism that came under Biden's early administration in his presidency when he chose to leave Afghanistan. And in this report, it's kind of buried in this 12-page summary that the government released. They don't admit to having made a mistake, but they say that they will change their policies to make sure similar things don't happen in the future. So in government parlance, that's kind of saying that uh, things didn't go the way they meant them to. An interesting report there and, and lots of good reporting coming out on it. If you haven't seen that already, the government talking about Afghanistan kind of gives me a little bit of the vibes that happened following the Vietnam War, although not maybe as severe. But it's interesting when these reports come out from the government, their self-evaluations. Anyway, Danielle, give us the best headliner of the week. Are you ready for fun? Yes. So my headliner of the week, and, you know, Lars and I decided to write about this on Wednesday, and we see how that went for us because it's not in your newspaper yet. But on Monday, when the White House does their Easter egg roll, because North Carolina loves to get involved in D.C. holidays, the Easter eggs, and I think it's like 22,000, will be from North Carolina. There's a farm in North Carolina providing all the eggs. So the North Carolina eggs will be surrounded by children. I think the character Bluey's going to be there. Winnie the Pooh and Tigger are supposed to be showing up. It's going to be a ton of characters. I'm sure the Easter Bunny's going to be there. And lots of kids having fun with North Carolina eggs. So I'm very excited that we are celebrating holidays up here again from the Carolinas. Yes. We'll see when we get this podcast out to all you listeners. Maybe by then we could have pulled together this fun story. Um, but this is what happens, see, in politics when when people drop big news and prevent us from hard-hitting stories like North Carolina-sourced Easter eggs. <laughs> well, thank you all for your time this evening. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Again, this has been Lars Dolder with the News and Observer and our friends from over at the Charlotte Observer, our sister paper as well. We appreciate you listening. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.